Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt and this week we're exploring yet another bitter controversy in the church's ongoing wrangling over same-sex marriage. The daughter of the iconic anti-apartheid leader and South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu was refused permission a few weeks ago by the Church of England to lead the service for her godfather's funeral because she's married to a woman. She accused the church of a quote, stunning lack of compassion while the bishop who actually didn't give her the license she needed admitted the decision, quote, violated all of my pastoral instincts. So what might this episode tell us about where the debate has got to and where it might be heading, ahead of a crunch decision by C of E bishops in the next few months, which could bring its torturous decade-long discussion of sexuality into the final showdown? I'm joined by Sam Hales from Premier Christianity to try and read the runes about what this funeral row might mean for the future of the church. Before we bring Sam Hales onto the show to discuss this, let's hear from the woman herself at the centre of the story, Canon Umpo Tutu Van Firth. She's 58 years old, she's ordained priest in the Episcopal Church in the United States, and she now works as a pastor in Amsterdam. She was first ordained in 2003 in the US, but also held a license from her home church, the Anglican Church of Southern Africa. But when she married her female partner in 2015, she was forced to relinquish her status as a cleric in South Africa, as that church, unlike their American Anglican cousins, does not accept gay marriage. Earlier this year, she was interviewed by Premier's Megan Cornwell for the Profile podcast and was asked about that very moment. Your role as a member of the clergy in South Africa came to, to quite an abrupt end, didn't it, when you married your wife? Can you tell me a bit about that time? How did you feel returning your licence? Um, incredibly, yeah, grief-stricken, actually. I, at, at the time, I was, I was still the executive director of the Legacy Foundation, um, I'm canonically resident in, in Washington. And so um, the, the, and my primary ministry at the time was as executive director of the Legacy Foundation. And so it was um, really returning a license for a thing that wasn't the primary source of my income. It you know, and it and it didn't. It wasn't the thing that validated my priesthood, um, but it was the um, my home church, the church of my youth, and and so it felt like being um, being thrown out of home um, of being, um, yeah, in a sense, abandoned by the church um, and incredibly painful, um, more painful than I imagined it would be because it it wasn't a, a piece of paper that was 
essential for any part of my life, for, you know, kind of my, or my, my livelihood, shall we say. Um, but it was, yeah, it wasn't essential for my livelihood, but it was for my life. You've said in the past that falling in love with Marceline was as much of a surprise to you as to anyone else. What did you mean by this? Oh, um, because people ask, oh, you know, are you lesbian? Are you bisexual? Um, you know, where do you fit on that spectrum? And I would have told you if you had asked me um, even the year before, uh, you know, are you attracted to women? Yeah, I like women, they're nice, um, but I'm heterosexual and that is who and what I am. Um, and yeah, what I, what I realized is that, um, yeah, I, I love her because she is her and in a sense, I think, um, you know, it was the, the, the thing was, you know, if I had fallen in love with a Chinese man or a Russian man or, a, or an Indian man, or um, nobody would have blinked. Um, but I fell in love with a woman and then it's like, okay, well, how, you know, what do you do with this? I fell in love with a person um, and, you know, all, all that comes with that being a person. Poe, you said in the past that you think the church will one day, and I'm, I'm quoting you here, come around to see God's way regarding mm -hmm. gay relationships. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by this? Well, I think that, that, that we, um, were really challenged by um, the diversity that that God has placed in the world. Um, were were challenged by racial diversity. Were challenged by gender diversity, and were challenged by sexual diversity. Um, we would rather. Um, be laying down the law and, um, you know, uh, saying this, you know, this is permissible, that's not permissible, um, and making the world in the image of our own narrow minds. Um, and over and over again, God keeps blowing open the door. Um, the spirit keeps... Um, blasting through our prejudices um, and and uh, throwing um, flowers in our path in every shade of the rainbow and shades beyond. Um, and the the church will eventually catch up with God. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Premier Christian newscast. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Sam. Uh, readers are familiar with Sam Hales, um, editor of Christianity Magazine and editorial director, I, I want to say. Sounds no? about right. Great to be with you, Tim. <laughs>
<laughs> We're going to talk today about uh, a topic which is um, obviously never far from the minds of those covering the church uh, and that same-sex marriage. Um, you may be familiar, I don't know how much you've been following this one, Sam, that um, the daughter of Desmond Tutu, uh, who's called Umpo Tutu Van Firth, um, has kind of hit the headlines a few weeks ago, uh, coming through to this, con- con- continuing onwards, really, uh, with the kind of eruptions and the ripples out from it after um, she was refused permission by the Church of England to conduct the funeral of her grandfather, sorry, her godfather, uh, in, in rural Herefordshire. Um, and, and the reason is, is that Mpo Tutu Van Firth is in a same-sex re- marriage. Um, she's ordained a priest, in the Episcopal Church of America, which is the kind of Anglican sister church of the C of E in the US, um, which uh, has complete kind of affirmation and welcome for for gay relationships, including for the clergy. But um, she was not permitted to to kind of what's called be given permission to officiate PTO, which is kind of temporary license for for an Anglican priest from somewhere else in the country to come into England and and to to hold a service. Um, This has understandably caused a lot of um, outrage by many. Um, some people are happy about it. Um, I guess first off, Sam, as a as a non Anglican, what was your initial response when you, when you came across this story a few weeks ago? Yes, I think it's further confirmation, as if we needed it, of the very deep divides across the church, but particularly within the Anglican Communion and increasingly within the Church of England. As you said in your introduction, Empo is married to another woman, and there are parts of the Anglican Communion worldwide where that is possible, it's not a problem, and there are parts of the Anglican Communion worldwide where that's an anathema, um, and where people feel very strongly that it's not right, that it's sinful, and so I'm kind of unsurprised when this story happened, because these sorts of stories are going to happen when you've got a very divided church, Mm. and where you've got very strong feelings on all sides, of some people feeling like this is a great injustice, and if she loves another woman, what's the problem with that? Why can't she be married? And other people saying we hold to what we see as, as biblical teaching and, and we can't have our church leaders engaged in behavior that, that we regard as immoral. Uh, and you've got people on both sides of that debate kind of throwing uh, Bible verses or scriptures or pieces of theology at each other and really unable to agree on, on what is pretty central. I mean, marriage is, a, is pretty central in terms of, of Christian faith and theology. It's important. And um, and people have very strong views. They certainly do. Um, and as you say, it's not the first time there's been this kind of blow up in the Church of England in particular, which um, has been kind of stuck in these torturous internal deliberations about sexuality and about marriage for what I think must be nearing a decade now. Um, and and it, what was really interesting to me outside of the initial story, so just to end the kind of in, in the end, what they did is they moved the uh, the the funeral to the to a marquee in the garden of, of the vicarage next to the church, which because it was not a kind of Anglican building meant that uh, Canon Umpo Tutu Van Firth was was able to to conduct the funeral anyway. Um, so on one level they they found a workaround, but um, what I was really fascinated was by the the email that the local bishop, which is the Bishop of Hereford. Um, who who is technically the person who kind of refused permission, um, sent an email round to to his own clergy, the vicars in, in the Diocese of Hereford, um, basically saying, if you read between the lines, I don't I didn't want to do this, but I had no choice. You know, so he says, uh, I'm acutely aware that for a number of you, stories like this touch you at a deep and personal level, despite it violating all my pastoral instincts. I didn't really have any options. 
within the current rules. Um, we did make a pastoral response to the family and we continue in a supportive, prayerful relationship with them. Um, and so what I find really interesting is, is th- there seems to be a very few people at the moment who are happy to stand up for and kind of defend the existing settlement in the Church of England, even though it's still kind of being enforced with kind of predictable pastoral consequences such as such as this one. Yeah, I think that's a very fair analysis. I, I think those who take the traditional or the conservative view on this do find it quite hard to articulate themselves sometimes. And I think that's partly because of the, the wider culture in which we live. Um, it will come as no surprise to most people to know that if you were to stand on a street corner and say God is against same-sex relationships, it's, it's not going to go down too well. And um, it's not an easy position to articulate. And I think, I hope I'm being fair to those who have a conservative or traditional belief. I think people would say, yeah, we do find it quite hard to articulate our position. We believe it. We believe it's biblical and all the rest of it, but it's not necessarily easy to, to communicate. And I think the pastoral distinction is quite important as well, because those on the traditional side, they don't, they don't want to make anyone's life hard here. They don't want to be the bad guy, quote unquote, but they do have genuine uh, beliefs that, that are rooted in tradition and, and scripture and the rest of it. And so it becomes, well, how do we lovingly pastor people who are in a se- same sex relationship, for example, without compromising our, our beliefs, but still showing as much love and compassion? And I think that is, is where this becomes so tricky because there are those in the debate who say, well, the only way you can show love and compassion is by allowing me as a same sex attractive person to marry who i want to marry and and for a lot in the gay community they see anything else as lacking in love and compassion and i think that puts those in the, in the traditional position in quite a difficult position because they're saying well we want to be loving and compassionate but we don't feel able because of our beliefs to to allow you for example to get married and and my concern is is how can that group within the church articulate themselves in a way that is going to come across as loving and compassionate? Is it even possible in today's society for that position to be viewed as loving and compassionate? Because I think for a lot of people in the debate who hold the affirming position, they, they don't see that as loving or compassionate. They say, no, we need you to actually change your, your stance on who you're going to marry in the Church of England. Anything else is not loving, would, would be their position. So this is one of many reasons why I think the two sides are are at loggerheads actually over the definition in terms of what actually love and compassion even mean in a, in a situation like this. Mm. I was really interested to see that um, in Poe Tutu Van Firth's wife, um, Marceline Tutu Van Firth, she, she published, I don't know if you saw this, Sam, published an open letter uh, online which was addressed to God and includes the line, please help the people of the Church of England who definitely are homophobic to clear their minds and allow any clergy person to marry any person they respect and love. And I think you know, I can understand how she's come to that conclusion that this is an act of homophobia, but it's fascinating. I know for a fact that the people in the C of E, you know, including presumably going all the way up to Lambeth Palace, who ultimately are the kind of the people who hold the the, the reins on this, um, would absolutely reject the idea that 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 any of this is motivated by homophobia rather than kind of an attempt to to interpret and to and to hold true to kind of scripture and tradition. Um and so as you say, it's a real there's almost the debate before the debate has to be got out of the way before we can actually talk about the kind of policy changes we might or might not want to see or, or might or might not be helpful. Um, well, exactly, just exactly what you just said. I I think that that backs up exactly the point I was I was trying trying to get at, which is a term like homophobia is actually a contested term here because, as you say, those who hold traditional perspective would say, "I'm not homophobic. I, I love love gay people," and and 
gay people are welcome in my church and gay people are my friends or their family members. I'm not against gay people. I just believe in a particular definition of marriage that can't be ex- included. And of course, those on the other side say, no, sorry, if you're holding that definition of marriage, that is intrinsically homophobic. So you're absolutely right. Even a term like homophobia is contested. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Going back to that email that, that the Bishop of Heritage sent round, he um it's interesting that after kind of explaining his frustration and, and feeling that like he was boxed in, he goes on to talk about how, you know, he says that this incident refocuses the mind of the bishops on our work over the autumn to bring proposals to Synod in February following the living and love and faith process. And for those who's not kind of who are not knee deep in in Anglican terminology, LLF, Living in Love and Faith, is the name the church has given this uh, two or three year long, more than that, four year long um, kind of internal consultation and kind of research project looking at sexuality and relationships, which they've been kind of undergoing, produced a whole bunch of resources and uh, and theology, uh, and have spent the last year or so holding a series of conversations and consultations in the different dioceses of the church. Uh, and that's all kind of been fed back to the bishops now. Um, and ahead of the next meeting of the General Synod in February, the plan is that the bishops will produce a kind of response, a recommendation, which could be anything from we do nothing and we keep the same teaching that's, that bars uh, marriage for, for gay people all the way up to uh, we we will um, you know rewrite our marriage canon to be gender neutral, which is what, you know, for example, the Americans have done. And there's a numerous different options in between. And, and but what the Bishop of Hereford is really saying here is that this is an example of how untenable our current kind of holding position is, which is we kind of we have a position, the ancient kind of traditional orthodox position, but we don't really defend it or speak up for it because we're in the middle of this reconsideration. But until that's finished, we don't know if we're going to actually kind of liberalize. And so they're stuck in this awful kind of limbo. Yeah. And I think what's especially fascinating about that is is there are people in the church who you might expect to stick up for the traditional position who don't. And we've seen this time and time again. There's been a lot of criticism leveled at, for example, Holy, Holy Trinity Brompton, uh, one of the probably the largest, probably one of the most influential Church of England churches and you know that we have. And f- kind of famously, the outgoing vicar, Nicky Gumbel, um, remained pretty silent on this issue. Um, I read a review recently of, of the new book that tells the story of the Alpha Course that even talks about how Nicky Gumbel would rewrite parts of the Alpha Course to take out anything, including sexuality, that might detract from what he saw as the main point, which is the gospel message. And and so the kind of thinking there was these debates around gay marriage could detract from the message we really want people to hear. So we're just not going to talk about it. And we at Premier Christianity just interviewed the new incoming vicar to HTB, uh, which is Archie Coates, who was based in Brighton, which of course is is the gay capital of, of England, isn't it? And so he's been ministering in, in a place like Brighton. You would, again, you would think this is someone who would have a view on on this debate. And interestingly, Archie Coates is, is taking a similar position to Nicky Gumbel and saying, I do have a view, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And his reason for that is is pastoral. He compared. He actually compared it to Brexit. He said, there's people in our church who voted remain. There's people in our church who voted to leave. We're not going to pronounce from the front on that particular issue because we prefer to have people of all political persuasions in our church and to have that kind of, the word he uses, unity. And it's very interesting to see him apply that logic to something like sexuality because, of course, his critics would say, 
yeah, but the Bible doesn't say anything about Brexit. It does say something about sexuality. Why aren't you talking about sexuality from the front? Why aren't you teaching on it? And Archie was very honest with us. He said that in, in the last, you know, say three or four years ago, when he said, I'm not going to tell you my personal position because I want to preserve unity and there's, there's room for different views. He said when he used to express that view, people would say that's really brave, that's really admirable, I understand. He says increasingly people are now saying the opposite, are saying, come on, Archie, this sounds like sitting on the fence. You need to take a view one way or the other. And so I found his openness quite refreshing in terms of how he's handled the debate and even going as so far as to tell our journalists that he's aware this might cause problems for him as he steps into HTB and and as the Anglican Church looks to the future you're kind of hinting that he might have to become a bit more public about his view even though he doesn't want to and, and I think the reason why that's so interesting is, is as you say Tim that there is a historic traditional position here that I, I think sometimes we forget in all the wrangling we forget that the church's teaching is actually that that marriage is between one man and one woman. That teaching has not changed. And I think it's quite important to emphasize that. But but why this is so interesting and so tricky for many is there are leaders like Archie Coates and Nicky Gumbel who are, who are choosing not to affirm that historic teaching publicly because it's difficult and because there is an ongoing an ongoing debate. But you know, there are there are plenty of people in the church thing who are just saying to their leaders, please can you just 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 make a stand one way or the other and, and i think there is this kind of uncomfortableness now of as you say as we're going on for a decade can we please just make a decision one way or the other and time will tell as we go into 2023 will 2023 be the year where the church of england suddenly comes to some kind of conclusion on this i think it's it's going to be forced to and and it seems like justin welby similarly actually to the two figures i mentioned in archie coates and nicky gumbel now, justin welby has a very very high view of christian unity and i i think it doesn't take much reading between the lines no he kind of wants to preserve that at almost any cost he wants to preserve unity he has very high regard for unity and and i understand that you can point to many scriptures and and some of what jesus said and in, in you know praying that the church should be one and that's very admirable but again, the, the criticism would be, but is it unity at any cost? Um, is it unity that actually we can we can hold any any position we like on sexuality or actually does there come a point where truth truth matters as well? So there there's some of the questions that will continue to be wrangled with as we enter 2023. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary. And it's and I know for sure that that Archie Coates, you know, at St. Peter's Brighton and, and Nicky Gumbel at HDB are far from the only kind of high profile evangelical Anglicans who have deliberately steered away from from expressing a view on, on this. And I think one of the things that that is I mean, you make you make the fair point that the critics will critics will say, well, the Bible isn't silent, so why how can we be? But I think even beyond that, unlike an issue like Brexit, where a church can just say, we're going to dodge that. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to come to a conclusion because it has nothing to do with us, really. You know, we're not a we're not a parliament. We're not political. But you can't. You have to, a church has to decide. You know, a church like St Peter's Brighton, there will be gay people in the congregation, right? And so the question is, Archie Coates had to have a policy, which is, you know, do we? Um, you know, he's obviously not able to marry them if they wanted to get married. But would would they offer kind of services of blessing or support if if a gay couple in their congregation wanted to get a civil a civil wedding, or even more prosaically, you know, would they um, endorse and support a kind of sexually active gay person in their congregation from joining in some kind of leadership, whether that's you know singing worship on a Sunday, leading a home group, you know, these are issues that I know for a fact do kind of crop up in evangelical churches often and you can't sit on the fence there you either say yes a gay person a kind of sexually active gay person can 
take part in, in the full life of the church, including positions of spiritual leadership, which is, you know, tacitly saying our theology is, affirms that. Or you say, no, you cannot, which is experienced as either homophobia or at least a kind of form of, of rejection of that theology. There is no middle ground. There is no, there is no, unlike Brexit, you can just say, I literally am not going to come out for remain or for leave. You have to have a position when it comes to those pastoral um, kind of yes. flashpoints. It was it was notable that Archie Coates in his interview with us, and by the way, you can hear it in full on, on the profile podcast, he used the word painful to describe all this. And and again, it doesn't take too much insight to realise, well, if you are an Archie Coates trying to hold everyone together, the chances are he's had people leave his church on both ends of the spectrum. Because if you're saying, I'm not going to join the campaign for full, full inclusion of LGBT people, you can imagine some LGBT people will say, well, I'm, I'm off then. And by the same token, if you're going to choose not to preach from the front marriage between one man and one woman, there might be some on the conservative ends, including, by the way, some LGBT people who are also conservative, who, who might leave kind of f- almost for the same reason. Um, you, you know, I, I, I spoke to a, another church union vicar this week, Father Alex Frost, who's very much campaigning for for full inclusion and feel so strongly in it he did not engage in in LLF and what's interesting to me is it is it doesn't matter whether you're a you're a conservative or you're a liberal um you're kind of faced with the same dilemma here i mean we raised we raised this issue i think two or three years ago now in a cover story which pointed out how people on both ends of the debate want clarity and if you're a gay person walking into a church and you want to marry your partner it's really helpful to know before you walk into that church, are you going to be welcomed in all areas of church life and your relationship status not be seen in any way as, as lesser than, than a heterosexual couple, or, or are you not? And actually the lack of clarity for a lot of gay people is, is something that a lot of LGBT people are quite concerned about because they understandably perhaps feel like some churches are not going to feel welcome. Even if the church says in theory, yeah, we welcome everyone, we love everyone, some LGBT people, if, if they're not walking into an environment where, in as far as they're concerned, if they're not being fully accepted for who they are, that's not a church they want to go to. And um, there's even been campaigns that to say the church websites, you know, you need to put something on your church website so people know before they walk through the doors what they're going to encounter. Hmm. I wanted to see what your take on the Sam was on on going back to the the Mpu Toto Van first story that um, the kind of idea that there needs to be that there could be some kind of um, kind of conscientious provision, some kind of pastoral accommodation, which doesn't kind of force everyone to have this big flashpoint. So, so in in that email I mentioned from the Bishop of Hereford, he says, you know, going forward, I think all of us recognise the current situation is untenable, and we cannot go on kicking the can down the road. We will need a solution that allows everyone's conscience to be respected and acted upon. I do not underestimate the difficulty of that task, but the missional costs not doing so are simply too high. And I think what is interesting about that for me is is the suggestion that the compromise solution here is is not to say the Church of England is switching from from a you know a traditionalist church, a, a conservative church, shall we say, to a progressive liberal church, but it's to say that we can have both at the same time. And if you want to be liberal, you can be liberal, and if you want to be conservative, you can be conservative, and that and that allows you know people like Mpo to to um you know come and serve in the in the search of england should they wish but it also doesn't force the conservatives to to rip up their theology do you think that's a tenable solution would you, do you think that's possible the bishops could come up with some kind of both and or, or, or is that just it's again an, another way of dodging the question 
Yes, I suppose another way of putting it is, can we find some Anglican fudge? Um, <laughs> classic and, Anglican and Ang fudge. <laughs> classic Anglican fudge is available in all good uh, Christian bookshops. It's not actually, it should be. Someone should do that. Someone should yeah. come up with Anglican fudge and start selling it. Um, in all seriousness, and to bring a bit of balance to the conversation, because I appreciate so far, Tim, we've, we've perhaps suggested, come on, Church of England, make a call either way, get on with it. And I think that is, it feels like to me, the kind of majority position. But to bring a bit of balance to that, there are some who will say, well, hang on a minute. Look at the situation in the church over baptism. Uh, look at how you can have one church that will christen um, your, your baby, baptize, baptize your, your child, you know, under the age of two or three. Um, and sometimes that same church will do full immersion baptism as well for the teenagers and for the adults. And sometimes you have a church that's one, I think one or the other as well, correct if I'm wrong here, Tim, but there's, um, th there's, there's widespread um, options here where on something as central as baptism, that surely you'd think, well, that's, that's really central to Christian theology. There's been a kind of Anglican fudge that makes room for, for different views. Isn't that interesting? The other example people will use is of course, women bishops. Uh, and again, Tim, you'll know this far better than me and better explain it far better than me, but it involves uh, wonderful things such as flying bishops and, um, and and all sorts of other clever, fudgy things that the Anglicans have done that, that enables you to be an Anglican and say, I'm not in favour of, of women bishops, and also to be an Anglican and say, I am, and, and make various provisions for this, again, on an issue as central as who should be leading churches that's a pretty central issue of christian theology so there are some who look at those examples women bishops and baptism and they say well look not just the anakin church but actually other denominations as well have come up sometimes with a way of fudge is an uncruel is it fudge is perhaps a cruel word but you, you get what i mean there's been a kind of a compromise here that works for everyone if we've done it on baptism we've done it on uh women bishops um perhaps arguably even done it on communion you know why why can't we why can't we do it on sexuality as well that would be the argument mm. and we actually talked about this didn't we a few months ago on the podcast when we discussed the church of scotland's own kind of move forward in this area and one of the things they've done is is they have decided we're going to um uh, permit kind of gay marriage in church but with the kind of exception that if a local parish church doesn't want it uh, they don't have to have it and no one can make them do it. You know, you have to opt into to doing gay marriage rather than it being the default. Um, and so, again, the argument is that means that the church has a position, which is that gay marriage is fine, but individual congregations, which might be more conservative or more liberal, can align their own practice uh, according to their consciences and no one is forced to kind of do something that they don't agree with. Um, which is, I think, a position some people would like the Church of England to take. Of course, the counter argument from often you hear from both ends of the spectrum is that that is, a, is it fudge. It kind of solves doesn't solve the problem for anyone. You know, the conservatives will say, well, hang on, I can't be in conscience in a church which says which contradicts scripture, as I understand it, even if they're not going to make me personally marry gay people. The fact that the church says gay people can get married is a red line. And I've spoken to vicars who say, you know, this is it. If the church permits, if the church changes its definition of marriage in any way, I will leave. I will I will walk out. I can't do that. And on the other side, you know, there are people who say, well, why are we accommodating with homophobes? Why are we why do we have to tiptoe around uh, other people? You know, this what if you're a gay person in your local parish church is conservative? You can't get married in your local church, which is something that every straight person has the right to do. So there are no easy options here, I guess, is what, we, what we're landing on. Yes, uh, you're absolutely right. There are 
there are no easy options on this one. And just again, I suppose the, the depth of feeling that exists. I'm always mindful in these conversations. We are talking about real people with, with real, real feelings, real hurts, real pains. And, mm. and again, you know, my, my concern on this has always been we've end, we've ended up and we're increasingly ending up with what looks like a bit of a war between two groups of people that I certainly would hope that for most Christians, we don't want this war. We don't as Christians want to be known as people who are against LGBT people. Uh, and yet, you know, for a long time now, and for understandable reasons in the LGBT community, there's been this attitude of the Christians hate us. Let's, let's just be frank. Let's be honest about this. And even the most conservative person on the Christian side I know of, you know, the most extremely conservative person would still say, I love gay people. I do not want to be at war with them. Uh, and these things, these things are difficult. Um, and I think that's the real, the sadness and all this, because um, it's very easy to get caught up in the, in the debate of, you know, what do the scriptures say? What should the church do? How do we figure it all out? But, you know, this is, this is real people and real people's lives. And there is an awful lot of hurt out there. Um, and, and how you resolve this um, in a way that shows real dignity and love to everyone involved is, you know, it's probably impossible, isn't it? And I think that's, that's the kind of sadness in this whole debate. But as you say, most people are now saying, come on, we, we've got to make a decision one way or the other on this. We, we can't have a foot in, in both camps and um, it will, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens next. I think that what we going back to what you said before about clarity is helpful because you're right that they're like this is a this is a really kind of torturous and painful kind of situation to be stuck in and and you know part of the reason the Church of England in particular has spent a decade at this point uh, tearing itself apart is because there isn't an easy answer. If there was an easy answer, they would have got done there. If there was a way that pleased everyone, they would have got there. There isn't, and and they're desperately trying to tiptoe around and find a way that might please everyone. But but my my position is, if I can nail my colors to the mask on this one, is there is there is while having clarity doesn't um, not cause pain for some people, whatever side you land on, it does at least mean people can move forward. You know, so if you look at America, the Episcopal Church in America, which is where Umpo Tutu Van Firth is is ordained. You know, they had a similar kind of quite fierce internal discussion. Uh, several years ago and in the end i think it was 2017 or 18 they voted and said we're going to strip out any mention of gender from our marriage law and we're just going to say marriage is for anyone one man one woman two women two men and that was obviously really upsetting and costly for the conservatives who were part of the episcopal church admittedly a, mi a small minority but there were conservatives but but what it did is it because it, it it brought kind of radical clarity situation and the situation was this is what the, this is what the Episcopalians believe. If you don't believe that, you can either stay and kind of find your peace with it, or if you can't, you know, go with our blessing. And and many of them did leave and 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 kind of bolstered the ranks of the the Anglican Church in North America, which is the kind of breakaway conservative Anglican denomination, which has existed for a while. And in some ways, I think that's probably it's a painful situation, and of course, it's sad whenever the church splits. But in some way, that means that everyone can kind of crack on with doing what they want to do. You know, the progressives who were tearing their hair out at what they saw as a pastoral, compassionate disaster, that they couldn't marry gay people, can now resolve that. And the conservatives who, you know, lost the fight and were outvoted can crack on in, in, in doing their mission and, and building the kingdom through their own church without their conscience being being conflicted. And I think whatever the C of E lands up, I do personally hope that they can they can draw a line and say, we're not going to keep on kicking the can down the road and and punting this into the long grass because that that an an aspiration for clarity is not going to be unpainful for some people, but at least it will 
um, be the kind of beginning of a new, the start of a, of a new era where we can, we know where we stand. And, and you know, if the Church of England decides to recommit to its traditional teaching, those who can't live with that, I suppose, you know, are welcome to go and build a spiritual life elsewhere. Yeah, and, and I think the conversation we're having as well brings to mind for me, what what are my red lines? Mm. What are the issues where if my church decided to do X, Y, Z, I'd have to leave? And I think it's actually quite a helpful thing to think through, I think. Mm. Um, because on the more positive side, it, it makes me reflect on what a miracle our local churches are, where, you know, I'll be honest, right? I'm, I'm in leadership of a local church. I'm in leadership with some other people and on some theological issues that I feel very strongly about, my fellow leaders have a different view. And, you know, for some people, they'll hear that and think, wow, that's a scary thought. But for me, it's not. For me, it's it's a beautiful thing. And of course, that is because the theological issues on which I disagree, for, for me, although I feel strongly and I believe them deeply, that they're not uh, blood issues, if I can put it that way, um, or they're not the other phrase that's used is open-handed, closed-handed. So, you know, closed-handed issues are like, Jesus is God, Jesus really died and rose again, the Trinity, you know, if you compromise on that, then I am out of here. But there's open-handed issues, as I say, issues of which I feel strongly, but they're open-handed, so I can disagree with a fellow leader in my church, and it's not a big deal, we're still friends, we're in leadership together, doesn't affect our mission, but it's a helpful question to think, well, what are the closed-handed issues for me? What are the issues where I would have to leave? And you're right that for a lot of people, sexuality is a closed-handed issue. Um, it's not like your doctrine of the end times, um, or or even for a lot of people, men and women leadership is, or that one can go either way, but, but you know, what i mean um creation evolution for some people that's a red line if you get that one wrong i'm out of here for, for most people it's not um and there are real interesting differences and the other thing i just say on that is is we at premier christianity we survey our audience fairly regularly and um there's a question we ask them about sexuality and i'm fascinated to see how it changes over time and the question that we ask is is to do with gay marriage and effectively says should churches conduct gay marriages and of course as you expect there's a percentage of people who say absolutely all churches should and there's a percentage who say absolutely no way what's interesting to me about the survey is those in the middle who say um churches should have the option to conduct gay service gay marriages but they shouldn't be forced to so that it should be an option on the table for those whose consciences allow and what i find interesting about that part of the survey is it looks to me and it's perhaps too early to say this but it looks to me like that group who say you can if you want is growing over time over time people are saying I mean, I, effectively my reading of that is people who are conservative on the issue so they're saying personally i'm not really comfortable with this but it seems like over time th those folk are saying yeah but if the church here down the road really wants to fine they should be permitted to just as long as those who, who hold a traditional perspective aren't forced to um and as you hint at tim you know other other churches other networks are sort of moving in that direction now again for a lot of conservative people that's that's not good enough and they're very unhappy about it but it seems like that proportion of the, of the population within the christian world seems to be growing to me yeah i think that's definitely right that there is a if there is movement uh in the church it's in that direction and, and it'll be fascinating to see what the bishops of the church of england come up with in the coming months it's very hard to kind of predict um people think it could go any direction so i'm sure we'll cover it again on, on premier christian newscast but uh we run out of time so thanks very much for your time and your analysis sam great as always to speak to you and thanks everyone for listening uh we'll see you next week Bye bye That's it for this week's episode of Premier Christian Newscast. We'll be back next Monday morning. 
And to make sure you receive each week's show sent straight to your phone or tablet, make sure to subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. If you're enjoying the podcast, please could you give us a rating and a review on your app. This really helps us spread the word about the show. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 